All right, my name is David Tessar, Senior Technical Evangelist here at Microsoft, and we are at Ignite. And we also happen to have this as Edge Show number 145. We're joined by a couple very special guests here, Brian Harry and Donovan Brown. Welcome. Thank you. Um, Thank you. For folks who may not know who you are already, can you maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my name is Brian Harry, and I'm uh, in charge of Visual Studio Online, Team Foundation Server, and Application Insights in the Microsoft Developer Division. Okay. And my name is Donovan Brown, and I am a, a new addition to uh, Brian's org, and I'm a senior program manager for pretty much all things DevOps. Okay, it's good stuff. We've got a lot of DevOps yeah, action a, right here. It's an exciting <laughs> time to be in DevOps, so I'm really yeah. picked a perfect time to join. Most definitely. So what I'd like to do is, is kind of walk through, um, both of you have a lot of, lot of great experiences working and running you know, with via the Visual Studio and TFS teams uh, with this DevOps practice, and, and you, you know, in your uh, life up until very recently, you've sure. been working a lot with customers. So um, you know, at Microsoft, of course, you know, we realize DevOps is about people. And so DevOps and the business all working together. So what I'd love to know is just kind of stories about, you know, for instance, how does, how does the VSO team have some good successes in, in people working together within the organization? Yeah, you know, we've been through, I, I've kind of been on both sides of the DevOps world or, or sort of pre-DevOps and post-DevOps. You know, we've been operating Team Foundation Server internally at Microsoft for 10, 10 11 years. And for the first seven or eight years, we operated in a fairly traditional ops model where you know, I, I managed the dev team and then central IT operated the, you know, was the operations team. And I learned a heck of a lot doing that um, because what I learned is that the two organizations, both very well intentioned with, with you know, trying to do the right thing for their customers, yet had very different goals. Mm -hmm. um, the ops team's goal was to keep the system up. And the number one rule in ops is, what's the number one cause of system instability? Changes. 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 Don't change anything. Yeah. Because if you don't change anything, the system <laughs> keeps running. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't fly with the dev team. No. Because <laughs> the dev team views their role is to deliver new value to customers. And, you know, in, in this case, internal customers. And, um, and that just creates this like terrible dynamic between dev and ops that uh, they, they don't get along, it creates distrust and, and misalignment, mm -hmm. lots of problems. So I lived in that world for years. Um, and and you know, as we went to cloud, we transitioned in that sort of technology and cultural transition, we moved to a, a DevOps model. And we, we combined the operations team and the development team into a single organization. It's not you know, at the CIO level where, where it's combined, it's under me. Uh, and in fact, even the layer below me, it's combined. Um, and much better alignment in terms of um, accountability, responsibility for sort of the end result um, that has just made the process a, a ton better. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, now the, the two sides view each other as assets. Like um, the dev team wouldn't, couldn't live without the, the service engineering team uh, and vice versa. It's a great relationship. Okay, very, very cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's true not even Inside Microsoft, it's clearly true, but our customers are realizing that exact same revelation to where 
if we can break down that wall, that, that barrier, and stop pointing fingers at who broke it, and actually work together to get more value to our customers quicker, it's just a better world for everyone. Because I think the goal of DevOps is to really produce the best product we can for our customers. That's really the end yeah. goal. Uh, and we do all these other things, like automation and breaking down barriers and process and people, all to do that one thing. Let's deliver the best experience we can for our users. And we're all experiencing that. That's right, and that experience is some combination of features, capabilities, Absolutely. value, and stability. Like, yeah. both are important. Absolutely. You can't take either one out of the picture. Yeah, I mean, just because yeah. the button's there, if I click it, it crashes and the whole system goes down, that doesn't help us, That's right. right? It needs nope. to be everything. Yep. So, so I think, uh, you know, still a lot, of, a lot of organizations, and especially ops folks, maybe you still think this is, like, not real, like, that you can have more change and more stability at the same time. I mean, is that is that like is there proof points there? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think you've got to be careful. First of all, there's no system in the world that has no instability. Like, I, even if you don't change anything, stuff breaks sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So every system has instability, but but and, and and you always strive to minimize it, to drive it drive it out of the system. But um, one of the things that I think DevOps recognizes is uh, that you can spend all your energy trying to drive out sort of the last cause, last possible cause of instability in the system, or you can spend half that much energy getting really good at fixing the problems when they occur, you know, good telemetry and monitoring to understand what's happening in the application, early warning signs, um, good processes for getting the, the technical people engaged, the devs, uh, the testers engaged immediately when there's a problem, getting it fixed, and instead of you know, uh, well, you know, I think you look at some of the some of the ops issues. Like, again, in the old ops world, when there was an issue, what would uh, what would you do? You reboot the machine. Like that's <laughs> the number one thing. And and what what does that guarantee? It guarantees it's going to happen again because oh, you didn't fix anything. You didn't fix anything. All you did was get the system back up. Yep. And sort of, you know, in the DevOps world, you focus on a, a, a huge focus on root cause a huge focus on rapid reaction, um, and then getting the fix, redeploying, uh, or making whatever, it's an infrastructure change, uh, a code change, a configuration change, that sort of permanently fixes that problem, and you sort of get all these problems behind you and, and sort of always improving the stability of the system. Yeah, I also think, of, it makes me also think about a lot of the other like DevOps practices that are tied into there. So, you know, continuous integration, continuous deployment, release management, infrastructure as code, all these things having a, a very quick flow because that dynamic to, to create a fix yep. is much different when you have something like testing and production where you're, you know, you flip a bit or feature flags and you, you turn on things and you can very quickly in a snap turn it all off, right? And at least you can figure out root cause while you get your, your people back up and running. For sure. Um, so. Yeah, because there's three pillars to that DevOps story, right? There's the people, I call it the three P's. It's the people, the process, and the products, mm -hmm. right? You kind of need all three of them to come into alignment to really get what you need. You first have to have the people who are going to facilitate the process for you, and you have to have that desire to change your culture, because a lot of us are so skeptical about the other side and we want to hold this is mine and I don't want you to touch it, but we kind of have to trust so we have to have the people in the process. And then the products are what give us that trust because if a human has to go touch that, I'm nervous. But if I have this automated process that has done it hundreds and thousands of times and does it perfectly every time, then I start to have less worry about that pipeline being faster and more efficient. Yeah.
Yeah, have, being on the same page with the, the process and tools definitely, definitely helps. Um, what, what, about, what about culture? Like, what are some ways, I'm sure like, you've seen a huge culture shift you know, in, in the organization. I mean, what are, what are some dynamics that, that you see happening now? you know, in terms of helping each yeah. other out. And I think there's a bunch of pieces to the yeah. culture and I, I, I don't think I can enumerate them all. <laughs> oh, I don't no, yeah. remember them yeah, all, yeah. but yeah. you know, as I think about some of the changes that we've gone through, um, one of them certainly is this culture of, of dev accountability. Devs are, are accountability, not just for the features they produce, but for the stability of the service. Sure. And you know, I think about some of the changes we go through there was a there was a period where you know every system has some kind of monitors. You use um, System Center or you use some other telemetry system that's monitoring perf counters and various things and firing alerts. You know, and uh, and 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 systems, most systems fire a lot of alerts, and and somebody's job is to kind of go look at all those alerts and try to figure out uh, which ones matter and which sure. ones don't matter and. Uh, and, and we went through a period where we were getting, uh, where we missed some, some serious production issues where the alert actually had fired, but the person monitoring the alerts dismissed it because it looked like one that was a noisy alert that he'd seen before, yeah. and he ignored it, and we had a production incident because the alert wasn't, wasn't sort of paid attention to. There are kind of two problems there. One is, um, there's just too many alerts. Like if an alert is firing and it isn't actually indicating a real problem that somebody should do something about, that's a bug and should be treated like a product bug. So, you know, sort of culturally, back to your sort of cultural question, the, the devs have to think of like monitoring and system health and stability as part of the product, as part of the code, as part of what they're responsible for. And when we did that, we made this big effort to get the devs to go in and clean all that up and then we took away that front end alert person and said, you know what, the alerts just go to the devs. When there's, uh, when there's alert, the, we, we do actually have someone who watches them uh, to sort of engage the right people, but, but the alerts go to the devs, and the devs go then investigate, oh, I, I need to look at that. So sort of dev accountability, um, uh, that's, I guess that's yeah, the big yeah. thing I'll, I'll highlight. Yeah, well, and then also, I mean, I think you gave, you gave that's a good example of the dev having a culture shock yep. of like, I'm supporting this thing in production, I'm getting alerts, I'm getting yep. woken up potentially on yep. certain things, um, like right away in some cats. There's also the flip side too, sure, on, the, yeah. on the ops side, right? Um, you know, ops guys who are maybe going through a, a 50, 100 page deployment doc, that, that's probably not going to really work so much, right? In, oh in God, it's terrible, know, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a developer by trade, yeah. and I know if I'm going to be the one waking up in the middle of the night because of bad code, I'm probably going to be a little bit more careful in what I push into production, right? If I, it's a consequence for my action, yeah. right? And if you don't have to pay any of them, then you're just going to keep doing whatever feels good. But yeah. it doesn't feel good to be waking up in the middle of the night, and it's kind of neat to where that, the responsibility is getting pushed back where it belongs in, in some instances as yeah. well. Well, yeah. yeah, I think the, the you know sort of back to the some of the cultural things on the op side is, and it took me a long time to drive this through some of my my service engineers' heads, um, and because it's counterintuitive, um, it, traditionally in ops the mental model is live site like getting the site back up is the number one most important thing, right? Everything, nothing else matters, so it's all about how quickly you can get the the, the site back up. And, and what I, the cultural thing I had to drive into the team is, 
while absolutely that's important, is not, in fact, the number one most important thing. The number one most important thing is making sure I've captured the information that I need to root cause this so that it never happens again, gotcha. right? Yeah. <coughs> so we did a bunch of work in tooling, we did a bunch of work in training, we did a bunch of work with that ops team to make sure that they are, that they are capable and, and, and knowledgeable on how to make sure we get crash dumps, we get memory dumps, we get you know, all the telemetry and everything before we reclaim that system or, or do whatever we have to to mitigate the issue. Um, and so that is this, this very delicate balance because you've got users who are in pain. Your service is down, yeah. your business is losing yeah. money, and at the same, so, so there's this, like I said, there's this very tempting, just reboot it and it'll probably yeah. fix it. But all that does is guarantee it's going to happen again. So yeah. you've got to get there. And that was a, that was a big cultural yeah. change for the operations guys. Yeah, just yeah. rebooting the machine is like tampering with the crime scene. You've just yeah. contaminated everything. That's right. You'll yeah. never be able to identify that again. And, it, and those rare ones where it takes running for months or weeks before yep. it shows up. And we, now we have to wait weeks again before this yep. happens again. It's so valuable to capture that. Yep. And of course we have better tooling that can help us yep. capture that as yep. well. Yeah, right? Teletrace yeah. is a nice tool And App Insights yep. is actually App going Insights along, a long way towards that. that as well. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And yep. I, what, I, what I hear, uh, uh, current of is, is, is also ops helping with automation in that life cycle yeah. and, and kind of up-leveling um, some of the things that ops is doing and you know, learning, learning, maybe they have more time now to learn about the architecture of the application so they're also more effective in troubleshooting and knowing the architecture of uh, how, where this thing lives, like you know, being able to troubleshoot um, disk I.O. and things that they're more up their alley have been doing for a long time that most sure. devs probably haven't been yeah. you know, doing those kinds of things, right? Sure. So, um, yeah, we, we certainly went through a, a significant journey you know, in, in sort of maturing along that lines from you know, a, a, a pretty manual deployment process. You, you know, almost everybody starts there. Oh, you build sure. the app and nobody thinks hard about how you're going to get it deployed and how you're going to update it on a regular basis. And, um, and you know, we were talking earlier uh, about tech, this notion of technical debt. And technical debt you often think about on the on the dev side of things. Mm -hmm. But there's an ops side view of technical debt. Technical debt is sort of anything that sort of slows you down. It's sort of uh, uh, inefficient processes or practices that, uh, that make it difficult for you to make forward progress. And, and deployment is one of the classic examples of technical debt. Because what happens is you, you've got a process to deploy this app, and then something changes and you need to, you need to tweak it, you need to do sure. something a little different, so what do you do? You just go in and you tweak it. And, uh, and, and it happens the next time and the next time and, and over time you end up with all these sort of special tweaks that are either you know, sort of tribal knowledge that are in somebody's head or if you're really lucky, they're written down in a right. deployment guide which just gets you know, thicker and thicker, thicker. By, the, you know, yeah. by the month. Um, and, and so one of like the big rules of DevOps is automate it all, right? That's right. sort of the config is code, yep. the, the, you know, the entire deployment should yep. be automated. So we went through that journey from the, the, the 300 step deployment process to the three step deployment process that says, you know, run this script, <laughs> update that dashboard, and you know, sort of very, very simple. And kind of the next journey, the next step in that journey was introducing release management. Mm -hmm. and, and we use our release management product, and we actually took, we took ops completely out of deployment. 
So ops now, the devs do deployment. The, the config is code, it's all checked in. Ops code reviews it, ops participates in the understanding and, and, and uh, helping make sure we've got a deployable app. But the actual decision to deploy is done by the dev team. They just go into release manager and say, initiate this release, and then it stages out through the environments, runs load tests, runs you know, validation tests. There are places in it where ops can do approvals and on, on key transitions, but that used to be like an entirely ops orchestrated process. Now the engineering team owns it. Yeah, perfect. Freeze up times from the, from the ops guys That's to right. look at and inspect. They know the, the infrastructure is code. They can say, well, yeah. I see that dev guy, you checked in this change that we now we have an issue with fault tolerance or high availability yeah. in that infrastructure yeah. that you're trying to deploy to. Sure. Um, so they can provide that kind of insight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we that time we used that time we freed up. This isn't like we you know reduced the ops team by half. Like yeah. there were tons of other incredibly high priority things that we needed to be doing. So an example of one of the things we started doing once we freed them up from that. I mean, we deploy every three weeks, and yeah. so that's like every three weeks you're going through this deployment process. That's so a lot of it's a lot of effort. We, we sort of took that, freed up that time, and, and one of the examples of something that we started doing was, it's called uh, red-blue testing, which is uh, basically red team, blue team. The red team's job is to try to break into the service. The blue team's job is to try to defend against someone breaking into the service. Um, and we now run sort of regular red team, blue team drills, and, and uh, it's, a, it's actually a shared um, activity between the dev and, and ops teams, basically, um, we, we have both SEs and, uh, and uh, software engineers on both red and blue, and they try to hack each other. Uh, and <laughs> cool. I mean, it's incredibly important. We found some yeah. really good security yeah. uh, gaps that way. Yeah. Uh, if you don't do that, I guarantee you, someone else will right. do it yeah. for you. Yeah. Right. Well, and I and, right. and, and certainly if uh, if you have your ops and or dev teams under a pile of technical debt. <laughs> I don't think they're going to probably prioritize red team, blue team uh, exercise yeah. until they probably you know, get hacked for Just potentially, that's right? right. That's but, right. But that's, that's cool, that's a cool story. Right. Um, what, are, what are some th other ways, you mentioned automation, and that's a huge one across a lot of different ways. What are some ways that people can um, maybe help reduce their technical debt within their organization? For dev and ops. No, I, I think um, Ryan pointed it out. It's making sure that you solve the problem and don't just fix it and don't tell anyone that you fixed it because that lingers and you don't have that security that comes with it. I even think things like unit tests can actually start stop technical debt. Yeah, it's debt a very important part. Because yeah. uh, I tell people they pay ping pong with themselves all the time. I fixed a bug and I, I was a panic, so I fixed it and I didn't write any unit test and I threw it over the fence and it worked. And then a month later, I get this other bug, and I fix it, and not realize that by fixing this, I broke this other one again. But I don't know that they're related, because I have no security net that's going to tell me that, hey, Donovan, by fixing this, you broke this. But if I stop, just for a moment, like you suggested, and I write a unit test that exploits the bug before I fix it, then I fix it, I always know that that bug will never show up again without me knowing about it. So a month later, when I get that other bug and I change it and I run my unit test and it fails, I was like, holy macro, I never realized these were related. And had I not written that unit test, I'd be paying ping pong for the end of time. Yeah. Right? So it's really important to stop and get that root cause analysis and have a way to automatically tell me, am I doing well or not? So I, I'm a huge, huge fan of unit testing until every company stop the bleeding. I don't intend you to stop what you're doing and go write unit tests for hundreds of thousands of lines of code that are working, but the next bug you get, the very next one, 
do not fix it unless you have an automated way of exploiting that bug for me. Mm -hmm. And then just build that safety net that way. Yeah, I agree. Unit testing is an incredibly important part of, of uh, reducing and eliminating technical debt and, and driving quality you know, early into the process. The earlier you can drive the quality, um, the better off you are. Now, you know, I think there's, there's sort of the other extreme, there, there's a spectrum of testing, and unit testing is usually kind of the, the very beginning. For sure. The other end of the spectrum is called test and production, and that is where uh, you know, you actually monitor the behavior of the application in production. You run sometimes synthetic tests sure. against it. You monitor real, you know, real user use to see what they're doing, what watch their performance, watch their fault, you know, watch any exceptions, any sort of log entries that are happening, yeah. and uh, and and sort of react and fix that uh, very proactively. I think those two are very important, both incredibly important bookends in your yeah. sort of testing process. I, I think you have to do both. And it's interesting because it keeps taking us back to application insights, right? There's yeah. just this really cool product that just kind of underlines a lot of what we're talking about because it can do those synthetic transactions for you in production yeah. and, yep. and let you know if they're failing. Well, and, and, and the Azure websites. I mean, the deployment slots, you, testing and production, done. Like, sure. add a slot and then, you know, add a half a percent of traffic to that Azure yep. website. Yep. Wow, now you have testing and production. Like, yep. it's super easy and if production goes down, it's like seconds and you're back to, you know, what you were before. Absolutely, it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. I'd love to uh, switch to kind of measurement a little bit. Sure. And like, how do you, like, you know, we've talked a lot about the people and, and some of these things. How do we have, like, metrics and goals around DevOps? I think one of the, the coarsest grain, the easiest one is, how often do you deploy today? Obviously, you weren't deploying VSO every three weeks when we started this. Yeah, it's right? about every six months. When exactly. We started, yeah. So that was the easiest metric, right? You don't have to go data mining for it. Just how often are we able to deliver today than we were a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago before we implemented this process? And you go from six months to every three weeks, that's clearly we're doing a lot better than we were before. But then you can obviously go much deeper than that and start looking at more fine-grained analysis of some of the metrics to determine how you're doing. Because just because we're deploying more often doesn't mean the quality of the code's any better, yeah. right? So there's other places we can go and look for That's right. Too. Yeah, we, you know, I, I have a, a monthly, what we call an MSR, monthly service review, which is a, a joint review between the engineering team and the, the service engineering team, um, where we look at service health. So we look at, you know, availability, we review all of the major incidents that happen, root cause, uh, time to uh, time to detect whether it was a manual or, or automated detection because you want to drive almost all of your uh, incident detection to automated. Uh, time to mitigate, time to resolve, sort of all the metrics. We look at um, at adoption metrics to understand, you know, how many users are, are coming onto the system, how many are leaving the system. Sort of judge customer satisfaction. We look at usage. How deeply are they using the product? What areas are they using? Um, we look at uh, uh, we look at financial metrics to understand what's the cost. Like, is the cost going up? What what sort of how are the changes that we're making to the software affecting the cost? We look at the revenue side of things to make sure you know that there's you know not no business here and we're just a big pit of money you know that we're pouring <laughs> in. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's an incredibly valuable focusing pro uh, process for the team to get everybody to kind of look at the same set of things. And you know, it's about a, we have a slide deck template that we use, it's like maybe 20 or 30 slides that we go through every month just to understand how is the whole view of the service going from health 
to adoption, to usage, to cost, uh, et cetera. Very cool. Um, how, how because uh, obviously the, the VSO team, you've been doing this for quite a while to get yeah. to a 20 to 30 page deck with all these metrics. Sure, yeah. How can, how can somebody maybe who's getting started um, help start to get this data using maybe products and tools and services that Microsoft could provide? Yeah, I think yeah. there's, uh, so there's a number of them. So Application Insights is again yeah. a, a great example, provides an awful lot of the, the live site data that you might want to look at. Um, I think we, for example, use, uh, use TFS, or we actually use VS Online, um, as our, our work item store, so all of our incident stuff comes out of that. Everything, every time there's an incident, it's a, in fact, we have a customized work item type called uh, incident, live site incident, and, um, and it tracks in that, in that work item everything that happened, all of the, the tasks or user stories that were generated by that live site incident, and all these metrics that I talked about are in there. So you can just generate these reports off of the data that we track inside uh, VS Online. Um, you know, the other one on sort of the, the, the dev or engineering side of things that's interesting to look at is um, there's this thing called Sonar Cubed, which is uh, a pretty popular tool for tracking t uh, technical debt. So they look at things like uh, code analysis to understand sort of where your coding practices are not kind of where they ought to be, um, code coverage to look at how your tests are doing, um, et cetera. So a whole bunch of... Uh, uh, of metrics and nice graphing and dashboard and trending and build over build diffing and, and stuff like that to help you understand how you're doing as, a, as an organization. It's another good tool. Okay, and, and what, about, um, what about release management stuff? I mean, do we get, do we get data from that as well? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The, the release management tool is able to produce uh, sort of information on uh, sort of all our environments, what versions are deployed to those environments, um, what the sort of uh, metrics in each of those environments uh, are, uh, the, the time to release, you know, time to move right. things through that environment, all of that kind of stuff, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, cool. Um, how, has, how has, would you say, that the, the shared metric approach changed your team and how things are done, you know, in terms of kind of that metrics guiding goals aspect? You know? Yeah, I, I think the, the simplest way to say it is, I think we really have a team where, uh, where I believe engineering and, and operations work hand in hand. Like, they really do feel like they have a common goal. They, they, it's not one against the other, it's not a trade-off of this for that. Um, the, you know, the, the, uh, the service engineering team has embraced change as a part of their life, and. Uh, that we don't have a product without it, and it's an incredibly important. Their job is to support as much change as they can, you know, sure. as they can possibly enable. And the dev team understands that their job is to keep the service as stable as as they can possibly keep it. And it really is hand in hand. We 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 act and and behave as one team. We do everything together, and that's I think all, the sum of all of the things we've done, whether it's metrics or processes or. Uh, you know, the way we define responsibilities, like the, the red-blue exercise, we put, you know, we, we have dev and ops on both, and uh, it, it's very much a, a shared view of, of what we're trying to do. 
And that's successful whenever you're running a software project that I found, right? I really need my team to be a team and not say, well, man, Donovan messed up, that's why that happened. Because when the end user gets a crash, they don't know which developer caused that. The entire team looks bad, right? So we either succeed or we fail as a unit, right? Use whatever metrics you want, but the app has to be running right. because I'm not going to blame just Brian or just Donovan when the user can't use the app. We fail as a team, we succeed as a team, and let's measure it however we need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you, know, you got to be careful. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the five whys. Uh, often if you have a problem, you'll find that um, you know, the problem manifests as something in production. And if you look very shallowly at the, at the why of that thing happening, you can, you can point your finger easily at, at someone in the, in the SE team that didn't do something right or something that was configured wrong in the production environment or whatever. But you kind of got to keep asking, well, why was that? And you'll often get back to, well, because the dev didn't automate that step of the deployment properly or you know, whatever. So you always got to kind of track it back to what was the real root cause uh, that, that caused this. You know, maybe the real root cause is we didn't train people, we didn't document properly, we didn't automate properly. Like, those are often the real underlying things. And, when you sort of stop early, it very quickly turns into finger pointing. Oh, Absolutely. it was that guy over there, or that, you know, that person over there. Um, you all, you, the team has got to not be afraid to trace it back to what was the real root cause and fix that real root cause. Cool. Um, well, I'd, I'd love to, to switch gears here to a little bit of the future, and kind of Microsoft and DevOps and kind of where are we headed. Um, so, I know there's just a sea of stuff that's just come out from, <laughs> from Build and yeah. Ignite here. Um, so maybe both of you can talk a little bit about that and, and maybe Microsoft investments and open source in investments that we're making yeah. to try and help overall. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I, you're going to be driving it. I, okay, great. So that's interesting. That's <laughs> <laughs> so just going to be my responsibility. <laughs> yeah. One of the things, reasons that I'm so excited to be a part of this is because if you start to try to develop an enterprise-grade DevOps pipeline, you can run into something what I like to call vendor explosion. There's so many vendors that you think you have to go engage. But spoiler alert, you only have to engage one, right? We are the only vendor on the planet that actually has all the tools you need to take you from tracking the idea to monitoring in production. So I'm really excited because we have everything that you need from work item tracking, application insights, release management, build, you name it, from one end to the other. So what I'm really excited about coming on to is making sure that they all stitch together effortlessly for us, right? So we have the pieces, do they really stick together properly, and do they all stand out on their own to be the best in breed? So that's what I'm really hoping to come to the team and yeah, make sure sense. I drive forward. And you, know, you know, one thing I'll add to that, uh, and we'll make sure that it works for all the platforms that you have. And it does, and it's, it's interesting, because my demo on Thursday, I'm, I'm, I'm developing a Java application inside of Eclipse that checks into TFS, but then deploys using release management to a Linux machine, right? So it's a new age for Microsoft yeah. to where it doesn't matter what technology you're developing in or what platform yep, you're yep. targeting, we have you covered, right? Because yep, all those Android tools I mentioned, iOS and, absolutely. Yep. All those tools I mentioned work with regardless of what language you're developing in. That's right, yep. Fantastic. Yeah. So, cool. so um, yeah, uh, I think that's, that's a wrap and thank you guys so much for uh, coming on the show. And, all right, thank you. And uh, look forward to more things coming from Microsoft and DevOps. <laughs> it's going to be an exciting world. For yeah. sure. Great talking with you. Thank you. Pleasure.